Welcome to the Toxin Terminator, helping people to restore and renew their health by removing the toxins from the home and their lives. Join in as industry thought leaders help you understand the physical and emotional effects these products can have on you and your family, and the safe alternatives you can use to remove the hidden toxins for renewed health. Now, please welcome your host, the Toxin Terminator herself, Amy Carlson. I am so excited for the release of my new book, The Toxin Terminator, Finding Focus, Energy, and Renewed Health by Removing Hidden Toxins. If you want to get your hands on the book first, be part of my pre-launch campaign by going to my website, www.aimeecarlson.com. That's amycarlson.com and you can sign up so you'll get your copy for only 99 cents. And welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest is Dr. Sandra Scheinbaum. I am so ecstatic to have her here. She is the founder and CEO of Functional Medicine Coaching Academy, which is in collaboration with the Institute for Functional Medicine. She is the leader in the field of health coaching education. And education, by doing my research, I found really, I think, is her calling and her passion, something she's truly, um, really speaks to her heart. She keeps kind of going back to it. She was a clinical psychologist for over 35 years, uh, being an expert in blending the physical relaxation techniques with positivity uh, psychology. And she actually takes that into this health coaching uh, genre as well. And we're going to hear more about that today. She taught psychology of eating and mind-body medicine courses. She's run clinics for treating attention deficit disorders and panic and anxiety. Oh my gosh, are those not all things we could use today in our world we are in? Uh, She also has three books out. She is an author. uh, She has the Functional Medicine Coaching, Stop Panic Attacks in 10 Easy Steps, and How to Give Clients the Skills to Stop panic attacks. So today we're really going to focus in on how the mind really influences our body, how we can use our strengths to find well-being, and also how we can experience true joy in our daily lives using food, exercise, and meaningful connections as medicine. Dr. Sandra Scheinbaum, I'm so glad to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. It is a pleasure and an honor to be here and speaking to your audience today. Thank you so much. Well, we are all about the toxins and removing toxins out of our life. And boy, are we getting inundated with them in today's world, aren't we? Absolutely. You said it. It is a crazy time. Um, I, it's funny because I was just doing a live video with a friend of mine. We are huge both into biohacking and we were really talking about ways to reduce stress and anxiety. I think that's kind of on top of mind awareness right now and learning techniques to really lower that anxiety level so many of us are feeling. Absolutely. <laughs> it sure we is. need to do that. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So I love hearing how you were trained in psychology, but then you kind of went into the world of functional medicine as a psychologist. And talk to me a little bit about how that was, because this is, we got to remember, this is back in a time where, you know, that mind-body connection wasn't really being talked about, was it? 
It was not. So when I started, I first started in elementary education. I thought I wanted to be a teacher, and that was back in the late 60s and early 70s. I ended up going into learning disabilities and taught in a classroom, taught at a, a, a college for, for years, and I was always focusing on this idea that we can manage stress. At that time, we did talk about stress management. So I did relaxation tapes for kids, and I let, let a lot of workshops for teachers about how they can reduce their stress, how they can teach their classroom, how kids how to reduce stress. And at the time, uh, as I started going into clinical psychology and got my doctorate in that field, there really wasn't even a name for mind-body medicine. We talked about things like applied psychophysiology. And I got into biofeedback and found that, whoa, if I learned how to raise the temperature in my fingertips, which believe it or not, you can do, you can raise them 10 degrees even more, that, whoa, that can be very effective. My stress level dis decreased, um, my physiological stress level, I should say, or I was also able to control things um, that, like when I got a headache. And so I went on, I started to teach that to a lot of people in my practice. But this idea that the mind could influence the body was still pretty strange. And so I just studied more and more about that. And I had always been interested in nutrition as well. So I started taking a lot of courses in nutrition and then found the Institute for Functional Medicine. They train providers, practitioners, mostly doctors, medical doctors. And I took all of their training courses. In fact, was in the first class to be certified. So I am an Institute for Functional Medicine certified practitioner. And as a psychologist, was very, very interested in how what you eat and how much sleep you're getting and how much movement throughout your day, how those things really influence mood, influence your anxiety levels. Uh, but the field of psychology was really not that interested in this mind-body medicine or root cause functional medicine, still much more focused on name that disease and how are we gonna treat it? So we're gonna diagnose somebody as bipolar, for example, and then what medication or what type of psychotherapy um, might be helpful for what you've been diagnosed with. And that process has to do with there's something wrong with you, we're gonna label it, and then we're going to give you a treatment, whether it's talk therapy or medication, antidepressants, for example. Right. And what I was focused on uh, for all of my career, again, long before it had a name, was what's right with you. And that leads us to the field of positive psychology, which really started around mid-90s. Martin Seligman and others started studying things like flourishing, Hmm. What makes people have a life well-lived? What does that really mean? And so they came up with this idea of character strengths. And that's what I chose to really dive into, focus on. And so I put together all of these components, mind-body medicine, positive psychology, 
just looking at what's right with you, not what's wrong, as well as the basic tenets of functional medicine, where you're going to the root cause, not just diagnosing and treating a symptom. Right. And put that together because I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could train an army of health coaches that the world would need badly to go out and just inspire people, teach people uh, that they can take control of their health if they put together all of these things. And so that's what I've been doing for the last five years. So at a time I was 65, my friends were retiring, my colleagues were retiring, and I have a lot of energy and a lot of zest. And I get excited by having a mission in my life. And this was now my mission to train health coaches uh, who can be the best suited to really go and connect with others because the medical profession it's wonderful. And I, I'm not saying in any way that they should not be highly valued, um, but they can only do so much and they have limited resources and it's really acute care. Um, but what about the people who are overweight, who are type two diabetic, who have a, a high toxic load, who might be living with mold, for example, well, who's going to really help them uh, and be their personal cheerleader as they make very difficult changes and overcome obstacles. And that's the health coach. Right. I love that because I really do see, you know, of course, that's where I'm at in that that field of really helping people look at some of the other elements that we don't get out of traditional medicine in order to improve our overall life and vitality. And I love that you look at what's good, you know, and you take that philosophy. I was just listening to the um, Love is Medicine Project by Rosie Berry. And yes, that. Uh, it was so, so good. And she was talking about, you know, medicine teaches us that we're broken and that we need to be fixed, but we're, we're really not. Um, and that really ties into, you know, some of the thoughts that I have that emotions are neither good nor bad. Um, you know, because when I was growing up, I was taught that there were very much good feelings and bad feelings and good emotions and bad emotions. You know, we didn't cry because that was a bad emotion and, and we didn't get angry. And, you know, and, and I love that, that our body can be the same way. That, you know, we're not broken to be fixed. We, we just have things that we can improve upon, right? Exactly. Yeah. And uh, particularly in the field of psychology, it's yeah. all about something broken. And I, um, as a psychologist for so many years, and one of the things I specialized in was working with children as well as adults with attention deficit disorder. And I was an expert at the time in testing, psychoneurological testing. I would have kids come in and, and it was like grueling hours and hours of IQ testing and Rorschach and personality testing and achievement. We're looking at kind of diagnosing what's wrong with them and these full batteries. And so now I had this, uh, this, this huge row of filing cabinets in my office with all these folders of all these kids, particularly that I, you know, so I went through the process because I wanted to make sure they were 
well shredded. And it's over the time that I needed to save those records. So I needed to dispose of them in a safe way. So I was shredding them. And I happened to look at some of the paper, the reports that I had written, and I shuddered. I think, oh my gosh, when I was focusing in that traditional way, how many kids were saddled with this label, attention deficit disorder, Mm -hmm. that really defined their being and and special ed, that we had special objectives for them. And yes, there's a place, uh, to break it down with the, their processing disorder and look at the best way to help them. But what if, instead of looking at what's wrong with them, we had addressed what's right with them? So kids with ADD, they're super creative. And maybe instead of labeling them as restless, we called it zest and energy and excitement. <laughs> And so um, what happened? What would have been a different perspective that way? And so uh, that is the the basis of positive psychology. And it's based on character strengths. So you're focusing on the idea that we have an essential goodness within us. And uh, what they did, uh, the people who were researching character strengths, they found that there's these 24 core traits and they're there no matter what, where you are in the world, where you are in your, in terms of how old you are, across cultures, they studied religion, philosophy, psychology, and the wording may have been different, but essentially there are these strengths that we have. Gratitude, hope, humor, spirituality, bravery, love, love of learning, curiosity. And this, these are the backbone. These are, we all have them. Mm -hmm. And as we strengthen them, that leads to a life that is well lived with positive emotion. I love that. So you, you talk about, um, using those those uh, character strengths. So is there a way that individuals can, is there like a, um, you say everybody has them, you know, all do we have all 24? And then like certain ones are stronger within than, than the others? You got it. Okay. We, all, it's, we have all 24. It's like we're dealt this deck <laughs> of cards. But we have all these traits. But some come more naturally, and those are your signature strengths. So, for example, I have always, one of my top strengths is appreciation of beauty and excellence. So I'm always saying things like, I love that. That is so beautiful. I am in awe of uh, beauty, whether it's nature, natural beauty, like sunset, uh, gorgeous vista, but also clothing like uh i would even when i was a little girl and i would go to the movies and see these ball gowns or beautiful um decorations and beautiful Mm -hmm. works of art deep appreciation um and that's one of my top strengths zest uh excitement like i'm sitting on a bouncy ball and i have a lot of so i used to think years ago that was add Right. And so the uh, curiosity is, is a strength, love of learning. I've always been going on and taking more classes and loving to, to learn about things. Uh, so and then there are some other strengths that um, could be shown in one situation and not in another. 
So for example, I have a lot of prudence. I'm very cautious when I go out, especially as I'm old, I'm 70. And so I might think twice like, oh, is this safe? And this is called the mother of all virtues because it is, it's like your mother saying, you need to take your sweater when you go out. But in other situations, I might not be as prudent. I might, because of my deep appreciation of beauty and excellence, I might spend more for something, um, a piece of clothing, for example, because I'm very attuned to the, the quality of the workmanship. Right. And so I might notice, oh, this one is pretty shoddy. So I'm going to go for the more expensive. Well, that's balancing prudence, um, right. for example. Uh, self-regulation is another strength. So you may be curious, how do you know what are your strengths? Exactly. So, um, <laughs> Yeah. So the Functional Medicine Coaching Academy, we work very closely with a wonderful nonprofit research organization, and it's called VIA, V-I-A. You can go to viacharacter.org, and they have a free assessment, and it's very well validated, and you can find out your ranking. Now, I want to caution you because we focus on what's wrong with us. So what do people do? They'll take the assessment and they'll immediately say, oh, wait, um, you know, gratitude is my lowest strength. That, you know, that, that's not good. I got to work on that. But we really want to focus on celebrating our signature strengths and know that we can build up some of the ones that just meet their lower ranking. So our strengths number 23, 24 in the ranking, that just means Maybe they don't come as naturally to us. For example, humor. Maybe some people are naturally really good at telling jokes. Or, or <gasps> oh, he's a really funny guy. Um, doesn't mean we don't have that. But maybe we have to work on it. So you go to viacharacter.org. You can take that test. The cool thing is they have a version for kids. And a great if you're homeschooling your kids, if they're home, have them take this survey. And then you do strengths talk. What strengths did you use? How, what would you like to use today? You can set an intention. There's uh, ways that you can build mindfulness into this. So you become very mindful of your strengths. We teach people when we're training them to be coaches, to use their, their strengths when they're coaching others and to help others find those strengths within them and use them. Many of them are highly tied to physical well-being. One in particular that I love is forgiveness. When you forgive, what does that do physiologically? And it's um, really highly connected, as is hope. Hope and, and the immune system are tied together, for example. Ooh, I like that. You know, is that, that resonates with me. If you are a person that has, um, I'm just trying to think of another word to use for hope. Uh, you know, that you're more of an optimistic type person and you, you know, are always yes. looking for the good and see the good and know that the things can and will be good again, then you're not putting that uh, stress on the system to, to get that oxidative stress and, and, um, and compromise that immune. That's wonderful. I love that. And what a great tool for parent, I keep, I'm thinking of this as a grandparent, you know, I want to know all my grandkids, I have ideas, 
you know, and, and being with them and knowing some of their character. But I think what a great tool so that you can really um, build into those those star, uh, core strengths with those children um, that you're loving and helping, you know, come come into adulthood. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, how did you use your strengths today? What strengths did you notice in someone else when you have a challenge? Uh, when times are rough, like you, our coaches ask people, well, how, how did you deal with this in the past? For example, the strength of perseverance, you know, where you don't give up, you keep going. Uh, I, uh, when I taught at, at a university years ago, I used to teach strengths by helping people watch movies, the classic movies that really resonate with us, Wizard of Oz and It's a Wonderful Life, for example. They're iconic movies because we see our, the people who are in those movies are overcoming challenges or they're not giving up. They're showing, you know, Dorothy's going to get to us or the sense of spirituality and the sense of uh, forgiveness, gratitude um, in movies like Groundhog Day. We love that movie because he discovers gratitude. Often it's somebody's journey where they weren't aware of it, of that strength in the beginning. And then by the end of the movie, uh, we're celebrating with them because they've turned their life around by yes. being able to express gratitude, for example, or show love. That is, I just love that, you know, and, and I, I almost envision like flipping a switch, you know, flipping a switch to look instead of looking at what you perceive to be your weaknesses to always be looking at those positives. Um, my, my husband and I, you know, some years ago, I was really realizing how, how the power of our words are, are so powerful, what we speak to ourselves, even inside of our head before they even get out of our lips. And I had a lot of negativity inside my head. And so we instituted the stop, drop and roll. <laughs> and, and I literally would stop, drop and roll <laughs> when, because it was my way of stopping that negative thought pattern and we would giggle and laugh and then I could, you know, identify. I didn't have to do that for a very long time, but it was something that I could do. I'm a very, I need big physical things, you know, to make that change. I, I just love that flipping the switch of a, you know, weakness to a strength, you know, a negative to a positive. I think that's fantastic. Absolutely. Well, as you were talking about that stop up and roll, I thought, well, my mentor, who is Dr. Albert Ellis, would be proud of you. So he was the basic originator, along with Aaron Beck, of cognitive behavior therapy. And that's where all that um, uh, changing your negative self-talk to something else comes from. And it's really what you're doing is changing what is inaccurate, because the self-talk is not accurate, right. it's false, it's a false narrative. Um, right. And so when you say I'm awful, I'm horrible, I'm a terrible person, that's not accurate. No. And then you shift to something that is rational, is okay, I, I made a mistake, um, and how, you know, what, what are you gonna do to overcome it? I made a mistake because I'm human like everybody else, for example. And so you ration, you, you have a scientific way of thinking now, and it's a wonderful process when you go through it. 
And one of the reasons it's wonderful and so effective is because you're reducing a physiological response because the words are so powerful, whether you're expressing them verbally or you're thinking them, they're part of your self-talk, but just thinking like, oh, I can't do anything right. This is awful. I can't stand it. When you challenge those words and those statements, you are then creating a different physiological response. You are calming the autonomic nervous system instead of like triggering and setting off um, alarm systems. Right. Well, and you can even feel your body shift. You can feel your shoulders relax. You can feel, you know, and they kind of go back and, you know, you get into that kind of, you know, grounded centered posture uh, when you can do that. I love that. Absolutely. And, and I love when you can do it with somebody else. So um, for many people, it's been so challenging because you're, you're home, you're with loved ones, but often the uh, people we care the most about are those that we can get into the most intense arguments and uh, problems with. Uh, and so we've shifted from a time when people were away from each other a lot, going to work and going out to um, social activities, and now we're confined. And so the tempers of people are, are there's a lot of conflict that has been going on. And so when I notice I'm doing that, my husband like, what's wrong with him? He shouldn't, shouldn't be doing this. This is, you know, I can't stand this um, or I can't stand this about him. And then if I focus on, okay, it's this particular behavior, but I will focus on, was there a time when he did something that was so caring? And mm -hmm. so I focus on, you know, what are, what really matters? What are the things that draw us together? And how can I let go of this? How is holding this, holding on to it, helping or hurting me? And mm -hmm. so going through a process of, of letting go of it. Yeah. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, what really matters? You know, it, it, it boils down to, do you want to be right, wrong, or happy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I love that question. And it's one of the key questions in coaching that we train health coaches to ask of clients, what matters most? Or what do you want your health for? And when you go there, those are actually called positive emotional attractors. Just talking about it, visualizing what matters most, which gives you the greatest joy, what you want out of your life. It creates a profound relaxation response the parasympathetic nervous system. And so that's what then allows you to start today with, well, how are you going to get there? Right. Um, and what would you be willing to do to get to that end point of what really matters to you? Did you know that many of us have symptoms of toxin overload in our bodies, but we don't even know it? Signs of a toxic overload could be headaches, fatigue, insomnia, skin issues like acne and psoriasis, and hormonal imbalances, and the list just keeps on going. But the problem I had, and I'm sure many of you have had, is how can you know how well you're managing your toxic risk? That's why I've put together a free toxic risk assessment that will help you discover what products might be contributing to your toxic symptoms and what small changes you can make to detox and cleanse your health. After you take the assessment, you're going to get my free toxic free home shopping guide. 
This is the easy button for finding the right products to shop for. These are the products I've been using in my home and the products I give my stamp of approval on. Take your free assessment now at amycarlson.com to get on the path of detoxing and cleansing your health. So one of the things that you were talking about um, are when I was introducing you, you were how to stop panic attacks in 10 easy steps. So is, do you have, I don't know if you want to go through all 10 or, you know, get the book, guys, get the book (laughs) and read the book. But do you have like some top three things that, because people sometimes can just, we don't have to have necessarily a reason to feel overwhelmed, but we certainly can get there, right? We can really just feel that. And especially in times like today where we are do, operating in such a different modality now. So what are some top three things that, that could really help us kind of stay in? I like that, you know, that calm, but also then the physical body, you know, remains healthy so that we're not garnishing more ill will happening to our, our physical body. Sure. Well, I wrote this book. I know this subject quite well because I used to get uh, panic attacks when I was in my 20s, debilitating, where I thought I was dying. In fact, I would call uh, paramedics had to take me to the hospital because I thought I literally thought I was dying. Um, and at the time, you know, in psychotherapy, you could spend years trying to figure out why and what in your childhood. And yeah, I knew, you know, my father had died when I was nine and I had always associated um, something was wrong with my heart, like I had a heart condition. So the first sign that I you know, got a little twinge and uh oh, I'm having a heart attack. Wait, it's really happening. I'm feeling, you know, numbness down my arm. Uh, wait, I can't breathe. I'm going to pass out. So it's a sense of a pending doom, you're going to pass out, you you can't breathe, and it's the ultimate, I'm dying. Now, Where, how can you just stop? a second, I, I'm going to interrupt there, because you said something, did your father die from a heart attack or heart disease? No, actually, he had rheumatic fever when he was a child, and in those days, there were no antibiotics, so he had, um, as a result, what they would call a bad heart, and it was why he was uh, rejected from the draft in, in, in World War II, and so it had nothing to do with genetics, um, but I always associated uh, that, and when I was little, um, in those days, your pediatrician would make a home visit, and sick. And I remember I was like three or four years old. And remember this doctor saying to my mom, oh, she has a heart murmur. So, you know, and I thought, whoa, that stayed with me. Like I had this heart murmur and I was damaged. And so, uh, so I knew that that was behind it, but that didn't stop a panic attack. It was when I started learning self-regulation. So how do you stop a panic attack? Well, number one, there are disordered breathing, and I kind of laugh that breathing is now called breath work, um, when really it's not work at all. Um, you, you actually you watch a baby breathe. Well, they don't do breath work. There you just watch their little bellies going in and out. Um, they know what to do. And so when I worked, and I worked with thousands of people with panic attacks, and just remember, you, know, you, you knew how to breathe when you were an infant. Yes. And then as life gets stressful, that natural kind of belly breathing pattern that you'll see if you watch a um, a baby breathe when they're yeah. quiet. But then you start to take a, 
a chest breath. And often that becomes habitual. And when you're starting to panic, you're thinking you're not getting enough air. So you may take more, you may inhale more than you exhale. Sometimes people are like deer in headlights. They're not even breathing at all, basically. So all those can lead to uncomfortable feelings. So step number one is you start to slow your breathing. But often, like if you're in the midst of panic, even like focusing on your breathing is going to make you feel worse because you're focusing inside. So the other thing that you want to focus on is what else are you doing? Um, And so it's not just taking breath. It's not like what we call, I'm just going to do my breath work. That may not cut it. But what if you took a breath and as you exhale, you imagine, so you inhale, Soon I'm going to feel better. And soon is the key word. We, we get into the panic mode. It's like turning on a, a, a home alarm. Right. And instant, it's an instant reaction because the body's acting intelligently, thinks that there's real danger, doesn't know. And so, it's, so that's you tell yourself, my body's just, yeah, it, it knows how to function. It right. thinks I'm in danger. Right. And, but then you also realize that, relaxation is a slow process. So you start to say, like, soon I'm going to feel better. Soon my body's going to calm down. You can also help it along by imagining that happening. And so that could be changing words, having some peaceful imagery. You could imagine a stormy sea going to calm. It has to be your images. The other thing, you're also doing a tremendous amount of muscle bracing. So just like, just letting go and sometimes exaggerating, squeezing, and then releasing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but often what is quite effective is distraction. And that doesn't mean doing something passive, like I'm just going to turn on the TV or even read a book. You might be looking at the paragraphs, but you're too focused on how bad you're feeling. But do something that you know is going to be guaranteed to get you to focus elsewhere. So Go in and follow a complicated recipe if you like to cook. I mean, something that's where you're going to have to really pay attention. Knitting, I love to knit or crochet or something where you have to pay attention to what you're doing. Right. That would be something else. Um, having, having something, years ago I worked with um, a woman who was um, having severe debilitating panic attacks. Uh, and she was um, well into her 80s time and she would call me up and say oh I should have to go to the hospital I'm 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 feeling so bad I'm I'm really feeling horrible I'm really panicking Mm -hmm. I can't I'm not going to make it and I would say to her okay what closet are you had a big house what closet you need to clean out right now and she said okay well I'll go to this one or this drawer and I said okay call me back in an hour. Oh, Sandra. Oh, I got so involved and I had these buckets of what I was going to give away and what I was going to give to the kids. And yeah, I'm feeling good now. Why? Because she got distracted and our minds can only hold two things. I used to tell people, it's like we have two piles of laundry in our minds. Two we're sorting, either darks or lights. And we want our either safety or danger. Our brain sorts. It's either danger, like, uh-oh, I'm not feeling well. This, this is awful. Those negative thoughts we talked about earlier that are toxic. Or it's the safety. It's the, let's say, the white pile. 
that we're going to watch. So you want to have more of those. Soon I'll feel better. I've been here before. I felt like this before. Um, It's just my mind like um, that is thinking I'm not safe. And it's just my body um, producing all of these sensations to try and keep me safe because that's what this fight or flights are. You're, You're bracing, you're getting ready to fight or run away. The body thinks you're in trouble. So you get more in the white pot and then like soon I'm going to feel better. I love that. I remember as a young adult, I had anxiety attacks and I actually felt mine. Like I thought I had heartburn or I had ulcer or or something like that's what mine was. Uh, Crazy what you, you know, what your body will do. Um, and how it will feel with that. But, but it was, it was, there was nothing physically wrong with me. It was just an anxiety attack. <laughs> I know full well how that is. Let me ask you this question. I got a couple questions for you is how do you feel like, um, are there particular toxins in our everyday lives that are really affecting our emotional state? So I think that there's a two levels. Okay. One, probably the most powerful toxins that we produce are our toxic thoughts, as we've been discussing, our words, how we label something. Yeah. And create a whole cascade. So when you are doing a detox, you want to do it in terms of getting rid of the toxic thoughts. What doesn't serve you? Mm. And so, so that's one. And the other is the toxic soup. So perhaps we can handle one, Mm. but if we look at how many putting them together, so we're going to add a little glyphosate, we're going to add a little bit of the uh, the chemicals that are uh, in our makeup, in our skincare, in our plastic shower curtain, in um, the air we breathe, the water we drink. And so we accumulate Uh, We take in all of those and we put them all together and then that's a pretty heavy burden. And so we want to focus on ways that what, and in this also comes from cognitive behavior therapy, we control what we can and we let go of what we can't. And so we may be able to make some choices in terms of the products we buy and um, where, what we have control over. And then there's a point where there are certain things that we're exposed to that we can't control because we have to live in the world. And I think this is going to be increasingly challenging for those of us who have a high level of awareness of the chemicals in a hand sanitizer, the chemicals in a disinfectant, for example, um, and we're going to be bombarded. And if we focus too, if we we can be paralyzed with fear yeah. and never gonna leave our homes again. Yeah. <laughs> but but even in our homes, we can't control it because there's EMFs and there's um, gonna be five G, and so we can get so carried away that we will uh, we will cause more stress, right? Uh, Radiologically by the worry and the anxiety that we produce. So it's finding that balance of um, trusting that at some level our bodies 
are intelligent and know how to, so how can we detox? How can we find the right foods, the right supplements, perhaps the right ways to um, detox? And how do we balance that with being an aware consumer, being aware of things we can do to protect ourselves? I, a beautiful, beautiful answer because I, I just, just today, maybe an hour before we got on this interview, submitted my manuscript for my book. And one of the pillars I talk about in the Toxin Terminator is mental. I really think that's the big one. And, and you hit it on the nail. There are so many environmental toxins, and it's that toxic soup. And we, we're not going to be able to avoid them all. So what can we what can we control? What can't we control? And, and I think when we can get into a good mental state, an emotional state, we're going to do so much better in the long run, even if we physically have the toxins involved. Exactly. Um, because the truth is, you know, we don't know. And there's a lot that we may think we're doing that's correct. And yet we may be harming ourselves. So, for example, there was a report that was released about collagen protein. And uh, I don't know if you saw that, but they ranked, they tested a lot of these and found, whoa, lo and behold, there's cadmium, there's other heavy metals in this. And one of the brands that I liked was listed. And I thought, whoa, I've been putting this in my smoothie almost every day. Wait, it has high levels of cadmium. So here I was doing something that I thought was positive. Now I have that awareness. But how many other things am I doing that I don't have an awareness of. And then, you know, what are the implications? And again, it leads to, well, well how much can we really control? We may think we're choosing products or foods that are good for us. And then we find out, wait a minute, they're not. And so the research is constantly changing um, how things are tested. So there's, you know, there's a lot that we're not aware of that we could be taking in. And then once we are aware, then that we may want to avoid it, but what if we can't? And how can we prevent the anxiety from creeping in that, uh, um, you know, to, to control these things? Just a vicious little circle, isn't it? Where do you feel like you're, um, where do you project out? You know, you've been along this positivity psychology for many, many years. And where do you project that in coming upcoming years, things are going to move towards? Do you see certain things in the future? So I think we're seeing gains uh, in um, looking at this. We're seeing changes in terms of um, somewhat an educational curriculum. I think that as parents are homeschooling now and uh, when kids go back to school, there are certain uh, if realizing that they have gifts to share parents or may they may not want to go back they may have seen the benefit of getting out and teaching their kids some life skills maybe 
they were in the kitchen cooking together or um, they were you know, real gardening or, you know, something that maybe they wouldn't have done um, in previous years when our lives were structured and kids were in school and in camp and uh, so many different extracurricular activities. So I'm hopeful that we're seeing that and maybe there'll be um, a movement more towards the um, acceptance, maybe as people are being more reflective and focusing more on gratitude, being more appreciative. It comes from being more mindful. And sometimes when you're deprived of something and then now you have it back, it's a deeper awareness of, gee, I didn't, I overlooked, I wasn't really aware of what's so good. And so that can certainly, certainly happen. Um, I do want to point out, though, I think sometimes we get hung up on positivity. And there's a dark side to that because realistically, there are emotions that are not positive. They are, there's sadness and it's, you know, there's feelings of, of anger, for example, and fear. And so it's not like, oh, I can't feel that. I have to be positive all the time. Positive psychology is not happyology. Positive psychology is really focusing on a realistic view of the world. And acknowledging that there are tragedies, there are bad things that happen, and it's coming away with a deep sense of meaning and purpose in life. A lot of the work of Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, uh, and it comes down to having meaning and purpose in your life, and that often happens through community, through love. I love that with, you know, community you know, one of those words that we're just now getting, you know, back into, right? Uh, You know, our community was just our little family. And if you didn't have a family, you didn't have a community other than online. (laughs) Um, So I I like that. Yeah, that yeah, it's, it's the acceptance of, you know, life on life's terms, and that we live in this world that does have um, bad, I don't even like calling it bad things. But like you said, I, 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 I totally understand that. We're, we're coming towards the end of our time together. This has just been absolutely beautiful. You are just a wealth of knowledge, and I enjoy everything that we've been talking about, obviously. Uh, is there some final thoughts that you'd like to leave the listeners with today? So there is an old saying that I um, love, and it's what's real in the mind is real in the body. And so if you are picturing gloom and doom and it's hopeless and it'll never get better, then that becomes your physiological reality and that affects your immune system. Every cell acknowledges that. And so shifting your thinking away, uh, focusing on what matters most, the key question, and focusing on hope and, uh, and also humor being able to laugh. And, and finally, there's um, uh, a, um, a saying that comes from a recent off-Broadway musical called Emoji Land, which I was heavily involved in because uh, my daughter was a co-writer. And uh, it, it is uh, that remember who you are is what you do when life hands you a pile of poo. And it's sung by 
pile of poo. And I love that because it is so true. And so it's when you are experiencing hardship and loss and you've experienced failure and it all seems like there's no way out. That's really how it determines who you are, yes. where you that's where you use those character strengths and you get together with your community and you use prayer and you use gratitude and, and everything that you um, that is good about life, but particularly perseverance and bravery. I absolutely love that. How can our listeners get a hold of you? What is, is it, are you on social media? Do you have a website? Yes, you can go to functionalmedicinecoaching.org. Our um, Facebook is Functional Medicine Coaching Academy or Instagram at Functional Med Coach or personally, I'm at Dr. Sandy, that's S-A-N-D-I, that's D-R-S-A-N-D-I. And I also want to point out that now is has never been a better time for people who feel like their mission, their calling is to help people find health and health coaches. Uh, the field is exploding. And so um, I would be honored to serve anybody who would like to become a health coach, perhaps coach on the side. I absolutely love that. And your institution, the um, the Functional Medicine Coaching Academy, you guys also sponsor a podcast. Do you want to give the listeners what that podcast is? Sure. That podcast is called What the Funk, F-U-N-C, and it's because it's about functional medicine, but it's in an ed- entertaining way. Uh, So we explore health education, uh, but it is also um, bringing in entertainment and more of a lighthearted element. And I love that. Dr. Sandy Scheinbaum, I am so honored to have you on the show and share all your um, infinite wisdom with us. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Amy. I'm honored to be with you. It's been a pleasure. That's all for this episode of The Toxin Terminator, and we hope we've helped you remove the hidden toxins in your life for renewed health. If you're looking to continue your journey towards full rejuvenation, reach out to Amy directly by visiting amycarlson.com for your own one-on-one chat session, as well as your free toxic risk assessment. That's A-I-M-E-E carlson.com. And remember, you are just one small change away from renewed health.